0: Oh, so since you have a Bible in your hand, turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, find that, if you can find that, it's toward the back, 2 Timothy, and then sort of just put your finger there, Um, I'm going to read it in just a second, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, so we're back in this overflow series this summer, we do this pretty much every summer, um, as long as I've been the director, at least for part of it. And so uh, the whole point is whoever's teaching, and like I said, a lot of times it's a different teacher every week, but whoever's teaching gets to just sort of teach on whatever is overflowing out of them, whatever God has sort of put on their heart. And um, so that's why it's called overflow. So um, I'm just going to read this. And uh, to get you moving around again, because you're so comfortable on the couch, everyone stand up. Let's do this too. Everyone stand up. I did this once before, but. Um, I'm not going to do this every week, but when we read, let's, let's read this together. So it's 2 Timothy 1, starting at verse 5. It's on the screens too, if you, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. So Paul's writing this to Timothy, and it says, um, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus Before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All right, you guys can sit down. That's kind of our passage tonight. I want to talk tonight about um, dealing with a lack of self-confidence, dealing with a lack of self-confidence, and I don't know where this lands with you all, but My question to you is, do you ever feel like you lack self-confidence? Do you ever feel like you lack self-confidence? Or maybe sort of put it a different way, um, do you ever feel afraid? And not like terrifying fear, like a horror movie kind of fear, but just like little things you find throughout your day, like, I'm sort of scared of that, or I don't want to go to whatever. Um, Little like instances of fear. Um, circumstances in the future that just freak you out? Or do you ever sort of hate the fact that um, because of your lack of self-confidence, you're like really, really quiet, and you sort of hate the fact that everyone just sees you as the quiet person? Um, obviously, like when you're most of, most, most of the time when you're in public is when you get that. Or you're extraordinarily shy, which goes along with the quiet thing, but this like, um, you're, you're timid, you're shy, you're quiet, you you don't have that, um, I don't know, boisterous, you're just like, can I, I know who I am, but you sort of feel like, why can't I just be me? And I sort of am comfortable and I am who I am at home, but when I go out in public or when I'm with my friends, um, I'm just, I'm shy, I'm quiet. And um, I think all these things, all these feelings, I think they're extremely common, especially for high school students. I don't know where again where you are. You all are at with them. Um, That pretty much describes who I was in high school to a T, and certainly in middle school, I was the shyest kid ever. Maybe I've mentioned that before. Um, I had no self confidence. I I I don't know. As a guy, I wouldn't say it was a low self esteem. Um, I think I was insecure but i was totally the shy quiet kid in 6th grade i was voted the quietest kid in the class i don't know why we were like kind of labeling everyone with something you know sort of as they at least used to do for seniors in the yearbook and stuff but we did it in 6th grade and i was voted the quietest kid in the class and at the time i was sort of proud of that i remember like what are you who are you in middle school anyway you know like you're just sort of in that awkward middle stage you guys remember that for some of you, it was like two years ago or last year. Um, but it's just sort of weird. And so in sixth grade and seventh grade, I was sort of like, that's awesome. I'm like, I'm just a really quiet kid. And um, I thought it was cool. But then by my freshman year, um, it really bothered me. Certainly my sophomore year, I was still like, hadn't really come out of my shell. And I don't even know how to like define that. Some of you kind of know what I'm talking about. But I, I, it started to bother me that I was labeled the quiet kid. And eventually, I remember being around other students who were outgoing, and even who weren't just outgoing, but who were like the popular kids, and they bugged the heck out of me. I mean, they like, I hated them, kind of. I sort of secretly despised them, and if you're a popular kid, or if you're outgoing, I'm sure sure I would have loved you, but I don't mean to be so like down, but I, so you were around them, and you're sort of like, why are you, like, you're just cocky, or you're just sort of arrogant, and you're so full of yourself, and you sure you have all this energy, and you're sort of the, you just always going to be the center of the attention, center of attention. And they just got under my skin, right? And I, and I was like, ugh, I hate these, like, popular, outgoing. I don't know why. And again, if you're that, one of those kind of quiet types, maybe you can relate to that. And eventually, I realized that um, their popularity wasn't really what, what bothered me. What bothered me was that I wasn't popular, and it was really a self thing. I was judging them wrongly, falsely. And I sort of wanted what they had. There was this comfort to who they were, to how funny they were. They were the funny type. They sort of got the girl's attention. I didn't, you know. And so there, there's this sort of this, it was jealousy. And I sort of realized that. And it's, I wanted it. Here's the other crazy thing about being shy, right? You sort of get, every, you know, like you get labeled the shy person. But you're only shy out in public, right? Because any of you who know that person, if or if, if that's your sibling or if it was you, you go home. What happens at home, right? If I said like Miranda's sister was shy, she would go, oh no. Uh-uh, you don't see her where I see her. I see her at home, right? You know what I'm talking about? You get this label, but at home, you're not shy. You're not shy at all. You're extremely comfortable. Maybe you're like wacky, crazy, zany, And you go out in public, it's my, so my daughter is a chatterbox. She's six years old, at home, sometimes I'm like, I love you to death, but you don't stop talking, and I really do love you, but I just, but we come to church, and it's just sort of her social, where it's summer break, she's not at school, and, you know, doesn't want to look at anybody, doesn't want to see she knows Courtney, so she talks to Courtney a little bit, because Courtney's in her classroom. But she's shy, and I just... and sometimes you even say to people, "Oh, she's just shy." Like, I'm sorry she didn't talk to you, but um, we've all been there at some point. So almost it's like, what's with that label? Because we're really not shy. So I think that says something about us. All of those, all of those of us who are the quiet types, it sort of reveals that there's something going, some, there's something else going on when we're sort of out in public. And um, I think I've already sort of said this, but I, you know what it is? You ready for this? I think it's fear. I think at at root, there's a fear involved. Our confidence in ourselves is very, very, very closely tied to our fears. And it's not rocket science. We kind of know that. But if we're really, truly honest with ourselves, it's fear. We have fears about certain things happening. Maybe it's as simple as we don't want to look dumb, we don't want to be called out, we don't want to be put on the spot for many of us, we don't want to be embarrassed. Even still, some of you may know me, but if I, for some reason, just said, oh, let me tell you a story about Cam right now in the DR, Cam, especially if he was the shy type, and I don't know, I'm not going to label you that, but he may his, it just start to get really hot inside Cam's body right now, like, oh, why did you single me out? And I just did. I mean, I'm not even going to tell this story. I don't have a story about Cam, but I singled him out. You did kind of get married. That was kind of crazy to this girl right here, but not really. Um... And so, yeah, we sort of lose our self-confidence. Um, so where are you at with self-confidence? Where are you at with this? When you're out in public, what's your greatest fear? Are you afraid of being put on the spot? When, if somebody said to you, why are you so quiet? Would you have an answer to that? You go, I don't, that's just who I am. And maybe, you don't, maybe you're fine with it, but maybe you hate that about yourself. And again, some of you in here, you are you're, you're not the quiet type. You're totally, you'll do anything in front of anybody. I shouldn't just look at Ryan. I think of Ryan last year at OGN. Did crazy stuff in front of a whole group of people. And um, you're, like, you're just very outgoing. What's your greatest fear socially? Now, maybe you're thinking this. Um, Brad, isn't, isn't this just part of my like, personality, personality? Like, I'm just an introvert. And I would go, yeah, maybe. Okay, like, I'm, I feel like I'm introverted. I'm still introverted. I eventually grew up, and now I'm a pastor, and I can talk in front of people. But I'm still an introvert, and I think... Um, to me, that means somewhat I'm not, I love being in a crowd for a certain amount of time, but crowds don't necessarily energize me. So if I, um, if I don't get time away at a certain point, alone time, I will sort of go crazy. There's, extroverts certainly are energized by crowds, by parties, by groups. You are energized by that. Um, but I think there's other stuff. I don't think it's as simple as just you're an introvert. Maybe you are one. That's, that's maybe a part of it. But I'm pretty sure extroverts, too, have self-confidence issues at times. And maybe for them, it's sort of still just sort of covered up by their social personality and who they are. And they sort of cover it up by being outgoing or just talk a lot and that sort of thing. But when extroverts finally get alone, they're probably, I know some of them, I know they have similar feelings. Let me give you this quote. This is uh, sort of deep stuff a little bit, but I've been reading this new book by this author I love named Dallas Willard. And this book just came out um, this month on the 17th, and it's called The Divine Conspiracy Continued. Dallas Willard is this brilliant, brilliant guy, and he was a pastor for a while. Then he became a philosophy professor at USC, like the USC, the, the Trojans, I think they are, U- University of Southern California. He was a he was the head of the department in philosophy, but he was a solid Christian dude. He was a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. And, um, and he died last year. And uh, so this other guy sort of, Um, finished the book and got it published. But um, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. I'll put this on the screen so you can kind of follow along. He writes this, why does fear play such an oversized role in our lives and our culture? What exactly are we afraid of? Well, the list is long. We are afraid we will not be happy, that we will not flourish unless we take the proper offensive and defensive positions necessary to protect ourselves and to provide for every possible need we have, both real and perceived. Our search for safety and contentment is endless and inexhaustible precisely because of the futility of relying on human abilities to provide resolution to our problems. Thus, if doing any truly good deed is perceived to put us um, or our pursuit of the American dream in jeopardy, our moral compass is simply adjusted to justify our own sense of self-fulfillment, pleasure, or security." So just time out right there. He's basically saying, any simple good eat, if you're asked to, um, I don't know, donate a kidney, and you go, Man, that's sort of going to inconvenience me, and um, that I may be, I may sort of lose my health then, I know it's a crazy example, but whatever it is, any sort of truly good act, we all worship and adore our happiness, for one, our pursuit of the American dream, I think when he says, what are we afraid of? I bet for almost all of us, one of our number one fears would be not being happy. And our culture today, that's absolutely huge. And the very last sentence, in the result, is one more brick of our lives laid on the foundation of shifting sand. Um, what are we all afraid of? For a lot of us, it's that sense of being um, thrown out of our comfort zone, of, yeah, losing our happiness, losing our sense of security, our contentment. Quite honestly, I commend, and some of you just weren't able to, and at some point you'll maybe go on a mission trip. There's a lot of you that like went on a mission trip. I don't always mean to be bringing that up. Totally throws you out of your comfort zone, especially when you go to a foreign country like the Dominican Republic. And you'll have to share your faith or you'll have to talk to people. Um, It's a lot harder actually maybe to do that, I guess, here in the States, isn't it? To go to the mall and or try to talk to your friend about Jesus. There in the DR, you can't even speak their language. And so an interpreter is actually the person that speaks for you. Um, But man, doing that just sort of makes us get squeamish. And we're like, we love our security and our happiness. Willard goes on to say this. the, The final sentence was this. The human problem has no human solution. Because it is humans that are the source of the problem. We need God. The human problem has no human solution because it's humans that are the source of the problem. We need God. So, it brings us back to our, um, to our passage tonight. So again, if you don't have your Bible open, open it back up to 2 Timothy 1 and just sort of stay there. Um, I'd love for you to, to turn there and follow along with this. So, um, this was a letter. You all know that probably. Written by the Apostle Paul to this, this guy Timothy. Timothy was sort of his young protege Paul was Timothy's mentor, Um, but different than the first letter to Timothy, first letter to Timothy, Paul was just wrapped up his fourth missionary journey. He was living on his own in a rented um, house in Rome. This letter, as far as I've read and understood, was the last letter Paul wrote before he was executed. Paul wrote this letter in a dungeon, chained like a criminal. He was under the um, uh, Emperor Nero, who was absolutely uh, horrific to Christians. He would, like, um, I think, put him on a stake when they're still alive and light him on fire in his courtyard. Um, horrible Nero was. And so Timothy was in, in a, imprisoned by Nero, and that's when he wrote this letter. And so he's writing to Timothy, and um, I'm pretty sure, maybe I'm sort of implying this from the text, but I think Timothy sort of lacked self-confidence. We know from these two letters that Timothy was younger. We don't know how old, but he was younger. And so Paul in this first chapter is sort of pushing Timothy to sort of persevere and to, to, to push on and to stay faithful. Um, so let me sort of walk you through this passage. So go back to it, verse 5. Paul writes, I've been reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now it lives in you also. So this dude, I mean, how many of you have a grandma or grandpa in here that was a Christian? Raise your hand. Not all of you, but most of you. It gets passed down, right? And maybe at some point you sort of go, you know, like, oh, my parents going like, to push this Christianity thing on me. They believe it to the core of their being. And it's awesome to see, even in Scripture, that that happened. And Paul commends Timothy for that. Now, this letter was written in probably the early 60s, like the year 63 or 64. Um, Jesus was only on the earth, like in the year 30. And so what happened? Well, his mother was, was a Jew, and she was converted to Christianity. So she was a Jewish Christian, and probably Timothy's mom also. Um, but so he becomes a Christian, and so Paul says, it's in you, this faith is in you, so verse 6, for this reason, I'm remind, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So it's maybe as if it's almost gone out, that Timothy has this gift, but he goes, fan it into flame. You know, like little embers or little sparks, like if you don't blow on that thing or fan it, that sucker's going to go out. And, and Paul says, bro, you've got to keep going, like don't let this flame go out, He says, it's in you through the laying on of my hands, which probably means, which spiritual gift does Timothy have? Paul's probably talking about a pastoral gift. If I know Timothy is a young pastor, he's probably saying, you have this gift of being a pastor of this church or whatever, and so laying on of hands, just like today maybe, it was like a commissioning ceremony or an ordination process or something. And so verse 7, and this is obviously in this, this topic, this is sort of like the principle Timothy almost lets this this gift go out, and Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Or other translations, the ESV says fear. I mean, some translations just say, God did not give us a spirit of fear or of timidity or shyness, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And I don't think the us there, I don't think Paul is just saying, God didn't give you and me the Spirit. I think he's referring to all people. And so Paul says, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Now again, time out. We feel shame for all kinds of us, for, for all kinds of things. There's two, there's two types of shame. There's misplaced shame. There's shame that we have for things that we should not feel ashamed of. And then there are things that are well-placed shame. We have well-placed shame for um, things that we do that we should feel shame for, that are wrong, that are sinful. You're caught up in some sort of sin habit or addiction or a certain thing, and you feel shame for that, that's, that's sort of good. It should lead you to repentance. It should make you run to the Lord, and that's good. But a lot of times, we feel shame. We feel this today, and Timothy must have. Paul says, don't feel shame to testify about Jesus. Don't feel shame to bring up Jesus. What is testifying? It's like in a courtroom, right? To speak on behalf of You guys, I'm ashamed sometimes. With my neighbor, like, it will just be awkward if I say to you, um, hey, Mike, have you ever, like, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Do you guys go to church anywhere? And if I bring up church, then he sort of just thinks that I'm all about church, and I just want people to go to church. And I do want people to go to church, but more than that, I want them to, to know and have a relationship with God. Again, we go to the DR, and it's maybe, it's, it's, a little out of our comfort zone, but it's almost somewhat easier because we'll never see these people again, and they're speaking Spanish. Are you ashamed to testify about Jesus? Apparently, Timothy was. I'm a pastor, and I have been for eight years, and I this is hard for me to talk to non-Christians to bring up Jesus. We all feel it. We all know that to bring up Jesus is sort of like an elephant. I mean, it's one of those things, like politics, that it just Maybe it doesn't go well, or it sort of makes people feel awkward, and they just suddenly walk away. He also tells him, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Again, Paul is in chains right now. But Paul was super well-known, and he was like, I don't know if I'm going to tell people that the Apostle Paul is my mentor. Are there things or people that you know need to hear the gospel truth, and you never bring it up to them? For the sake of you and your fear and your lack of self-confidence. But they need to know. And they're dying to know. But join with me in suffering. So Paul just invites him in and says, suffer for the gospel. By the power of God. Verse 9 is so powerful. So God, God who has saved us and he's called us to a holy life. That's two things God does. He doesn't just save you. He calls you to a holy life Not because of anything we've done, not because your grandma's a Christian and then your mom's a Christian and now you come to church, not because you're so awesome and your attendance record is impeccable, not because of anything we've done or haven't done, but because of his own purpose in grace. What is grace? Um, Two things that I want to just bring up to you. I think a great definition, you've heard that grace is a gift, right? You maybe know that. And that grace is undeserved favor. Um, grace is also just God's activity. Anytime you hear someone talk about God's grace or grace working or I need God's grace, it's just God's God's activity in your life, God's action in your life, in your world. But it also is a gift. And so right after that, he says, this grace, or I'm just going to insert the word, this gift, this gift was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, the actual Greek there is just basically, he says, this gift, like equal sign, Jesus Christ. The gift, the solution, the way that you are saved and made holy is Jesus Christ. And that was the plan before the beginning of time, before Adam and Eve, before Genesis, before all that, whatever that was, thousands of years in the Old Testament. But now, verse 10, now it has, has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, um it's now available. Like it was always the plan and certainly people in the Old Testament got saved or they encountered God but when Jesus came along, he, he endlessly was talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now available. The kingdom of God is at hand. I am, I'm it. I'm bringing it. I'm ushering it in and it's now possible to live. It's available. And what does Jesus Christ do? He's destroyed death and he's brought life. Now again, because most all of us really, for the most part, think Christianity is fundamentally about when we die and it's about heaven. And that's true and that's great and I shouldn't belittle that at all. But when he says um, he came to destroy death, don't let your mind immediately go to when you're 85 or 90 years old and you're on your deathbed and you're probably going to die and then you really care. Um, I think so many people tend to think, I'm just going to live my life, and I'm going to kind of live it up, too. And I'm just going to do all the fun, pleasure, just, like, cool things. I'm going to party, and I'm going to do all the things that are fun. And when I get cancer, then maybe I'll get serious about this, like, God stuff. Or I'm maybe going to die. Then I'll take it seriously. You guys, when he says destroy death, I feel like there's little deaths that we encounter every day. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, I don't care what it is. You, um, your parents say something to you that absolutely hurts. And belittles you, or a sibling does, or a friend somehow betrays a trust, or stabs you in the back, or something happens. You go through a breakup. You find out he or she just doesn't really like you anymore. They sort of left you alone. Or um, you're embarrassed by someone. Or you're, um, I don't know, any number of things is a death that you die every day. Any kind of sin, maybe it's a sin habit that you're just caught up in. It's summertime, you have way too much time on your hands, and you just sort of start. Started doing that again. He's destroyed death. And so it applies to our everyday life too. He's destroyed death and he brings life. And then he just simply he does bring up immortality. That we're mortals, but no longer, not for the Christian. We are immortal. That death, one author, I think it really was Dallas Willard, said it'll be like going to sleep at night when we die, and it'll be like waking up in the morning. You do not remember that, and thus you have a dream, and then you're sort of whatever in this sleepy state. But he said death will be like, he thinks like it'll be like waking up in the morning, and you're like, where am I? And it'll be just like this, with bright lights shining like red on your face. Now, I don't know. <laughs> but you'll go, I am not in my bedroom anymore, or I am not whatever happened to you in the hospital bed. It'll be like waking up in the morning, and that happens through the gospel. The practical point, you guys, for us tonight that I want to camp on is in order to live a holy life, you have to get your confidence back. You have to get your confidence back. And I don't know if this is more a struggle for Christians. I sometimes think it is. Um, The non-Christian sort of goes, it is about me, and I'm going to be, I am going to be maybe arrogant. Like, I'm awesome. That's maybe what the non-Christian says. And we sort of go, well, I think I'm awesome, but... I'm a Christian, and so I'm supposed to be humble, or I'm not supposed to be prou- like, proud and arrogant. I'm not supposed to be a jerk. And so maybe it, it sort of creates this caricature of the Christian that, means, that, that says we're like supposed to be weak and timid and humble. We are supposed to be humble, but Jesus, I mean, verse 7, God did not give us a spirit, literally a heart. He did not give us a heart of fear or of timidity. He gives us a heart of power and of love and of self-discipline. And it's not like a power up, like I'm going to beat you over the head with a Bible verse or with the gospel. Power coupled with love is an absolutely great combination. So what, maybe you need to memorize verse 7, that if you've ever lacked confidence, you just have in your head in that moment, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God has not given me a spirit of shyness, of quietness. I can speak up. I can, I can talk. I can be myself. Here's how I've worded it for tonight. So I want you to write this down. If you have a pen, if you have a note card, write this down or type it into your phone if you have a phone. Um, And maybe this sounds sort of harsh even, but I just worded it like this, that having a spirit of fear or of timid shyness always reveals that we're self-centered and not God-centered. Having a spirit of fear always reveals we're self-centered and not God-centered. Now you go, Whoa, whoa! Like you bring up the self-centeredness. That sounds. That just sounds kind of harsh. Um, like you know, maybe you're saying. So, Brad, are you saying that if I'm shy, I'm self-centered? And I would go, well, maybe, yeah. I think I was. And again, some of that, you know, is just sort of finding yourself and and figuring out your sort of social awkwardness. Maybe I mean, there's a part of that I want to give it to. Yeah your personality, or you're introverted. But some of that, at least at a certain point, and I think when you get into high school, it is sort of like, I'm plagued with fear. There are little things that just keep me, I, I'm not trusting in God. I am overwhelmed by emotion or anxiety or worry or fear or whatever, but I am totally self-centered. And again, that's just reality. I'm not trying to like beat you up. I was that way. But I think it really does reveal a self-centeredness and not a God-centeredness. It doesn't come from God. I think that verse is absolutely clear. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Now, does that mean you can't be afraid? Or does that mean you can't be shy? No, no, no. Absolutely you can be. But when you are, that's not from God. That's all I'm saying. It's not from God. And you can, you can fire back and you can say, no, this is, not ma- this is not who I am or this is not who I should be. God has given me a spirit of power and of love, and of self-discipline. I, I am not this weak, timid, um, you know, nobody of a person or something. 1 John 4, 18 says this. You, you've heard this verse before. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. So God gives us a heart of power, and of love, and of self-discipline. And don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that this means that every Christian is supposed to be extroverted? And outgoing. No, I am not, don't don't hear me saying that. All what I am saying is that we should not let our lives be governed by fear and by timidity. And if we do, it's just sort of showing that we have the focus is on ourselves. Again, it's not wrong. There's times we need to do that to protect ourselves. To me, you're going off to college in the fall, and you will find yourself on the campus of a very, very big school. And it will be terrifying, maybe, for you, at least to some degree. Um, Maybe not. Will you be afraid? I'm sure there'll be some fear. But I hope even that this verse can just remind you of who you are and that you don't need to be afraid. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? As I already said, number one, um, try to memorize 1 Timothy 1.7. It's a simple, simple verse to memorize. Or at least just memorize, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity and just... Commit that to memory and say it whenever you need it. Um, but number two, more than this, uh, more than the memorization, we need to realize what the end goal of this is. What is the end goal of all this? And I feel like it's mostly found in verse 9. So again, verse 9 says this, God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Um, God wants us to live a holy life, and he wants Jesus to be our master. That's sort of the, that's the end game right there. And again, we talk about this every week. But here's sort of the thing: you're a Christian your whole life, and at some point, you sort of you go, Yeah, I know Jesus, but I want I want more. Isn't there really something else? No. There's nothing else. He is that great. We just sort of shrink him down because we've heard about him since we were three years old in Sunday school. And it just gets older, it gets tired, or it gets boring. I love that we come to Oasis every week. I did that my whole life too. But eventually, you just go, you start to want something else. And so what you begin to want is um, you start toying with other stuff. I feel like I'm addicted to my iPhone. Anyone else? Like, I just love being in control and having my phone, and I always want to know what's going on on Facebook or on Twitter, and I'm not really that into the social media stuff. You sort of go, yeah, Jesus, but I sort of like control, and I sort of like my happiness, and the Bible seems confusing, and it doesn't make sense, so I'm going to stop trying um, in that realm. Um, It's really, really hard in the 21st century, you guys, uh, for all of us. It's just a crazy world that we live in. But God wants us to live a holy life, and he wants Jesus to be our master. Um, I want to call this the with God life. And um, back in the day, John Alford like, coined that term. He's a pastor here at the church. And I think before John Alford, he read it through all kinds of books. But I feel like the with God life is the answer. You guys, Christianity, you are not called to embrace this sort of, some sort of obscure religion. You're not called to embrace a religion. You're not called to just simply believe a philosophy. You are called to live in a realm where the king is like your best friend. The king, you and the king are in a relationship together. You get to live in this kingdom, in this realm, and it's, it's a realm, it's a, it's a kingdom. And it is good, and it is like, I don't know why we're so tempted to do evil stuff when doing like a whole lot of good is really awesome and absolutely satisfying and 100% fulfilling. But we just sort of go, eh, but that's sort of like what good people do. And it makes our heart race a little more to do, like, to do the bad stuff. Um, the with God life, I want to paint a picture. I mean, over the weeks and this next year of what that is, it's available to us now. God's kingdom, it's at hand, Jesus said and it's really, really good, and it's where sin is said no to, and life feels full, and it's enjoyable, and we're satisfied, and death is not an issue, and there's no fear, and there's no lack of self-confidence, because love reigns. And so, um, man, I I hope you want to enter into that. I mean, I hope you would say I'm a Christian, but I want you to know it's more than just, again, this term that I'm a Christian, and that means I sort of believe certain things, and christianity is more than just believing certain things it's it's living in this realm with jesus as your best friend with the king of the kingdom as your best friend and he's absolutely he's amazing and he's glorious and he's perfect and he's grander than we can ever even fathom um that's our aim and um man and it's so much better than just sort of i think being self-absorbed and being unhappy, or doing all this introspection. So, will you lack confidence? All the time. We will fight that forever. As a Christian, even in the kingdom of God, we're not going to be perfect. But man, I hope that you fight against that, and you use verses like 2 Timothy 1.7, and you know, when I feel fear, that's not from God. When I just like clam up and am quiet, that's not from God. And he's given us a voice, you guys, and he's put you in the school you're in, or in the home that you're homeschooled. Um, he's put you where you're at for a reason to influence the people around you. Um, let's pray. God, just saying that makes me think of my neighbor Mike Stafford, and uh, and his wife and their two girls. God, I think of I think of those girls. God, I think of those girls coming to Sunday school every week and sitting in classrooms like my daughter does with Courtney and learning about Jesus. And um, God, I think about how we maybe were when we first became Christians, and how, how great it felt. How there were times when we prayed, or we were sat in silence, and we felt like, Jesus, you were talking directly to us. God, I remember sitting in my basement in high school, and having a quiet time, and it being the best part of my day. And God, now it seems like life is just, it gets more complex, and it gets crazy, and there's all these other things God, I pray that, that Mike and his family, I pray that I'd get them to come to church at some point. Not just to come to church, but that they would find you. And I pray that their girls would find you and have a relationship with you. God, for all of us, from time to time, we lack confidence. We struggle with that. God, I've heard students say, I hate that I feel like I'm a boring person. I hate that people tell me I'm the quiet person. Why are you so quiet? And that bothers us. And God, it should And God, some of us, we're just sort of finding out who we are and we're discovering our identity. But God, your word tells us that you don't give us a heart of fear. You give us a heart and a spirit of love and of power and of self-control and self-discipline. God, you want to be our master. You want to be our Lord. And God, with you as our Lord and our king and our ruler, God, we can live a great life in your kingdom. God, help us live the with God life. I pray that we would enter into that. And that it wouldn't just be some label we have, but God, that it would actually be where we live and it would influence um, what we do when we get out of bed in the morning and the things that we say to people and the, the behaviors, the way we act toward people and all of that stuff. God, may it change our lives. And I think you really wanted it to be that. So God, change us, we pray. That's what we ask. God, would your grace, would your activity fill this group, this all of us here and change us. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.